Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez. I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. Welcome, everybody, to another fantastic episode of Aviation Mentors Podcast. Me and Carson are, are hanging out at Riverside Airport. And uh, having a great time today. Uh, unfortunately, we're at, not really. Uh, the wind is too uh, too high because I want to go fly my new Cessna 120 today. And unfortunately, that doesn't get to happen. Uh, the winds are like gusting over 30 and, uh, and they've shut down one of the runways here because of a camera issue and the tower can't see the, the runway. So we're out of luck on flying today, unfortunately, at least until this afternoon. Maybe, maybe it'll, uh, it, the winds will go down. We'll see about it. Uh, but today we are going to do a little Q and a, and, uh, we're calling today, ask a CFI. Uh, so we've got uh, a bunch of questions Carson's going to ask me, and, uh, I have only read a couple of them, so he could surprise me a little bit. I never know. Uh, so we'll see if I'm any good at answering these questions today, but remember that, uh, follow your CFI's instruction. Uh, everything we say today is just our opinion. Uh, it doesn't mean that, that it's 100%, uh, rule or law. If I mess up saying something today, please double check with your uh, your CFI and double check with the regulations. Uh, we don't want to be responsible for uh, something that we say on accident. Uh, so make sure you double check uh, with your CFI if there's anything you have in question. But I'm going to do my best to answer some of these awesome CFI questions that Carson's got teed up for me today. So Carson, what's the first question you got for me? All right. I want this to feel just like a check ride. So I hope you're stressed out. Very stressed always. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Actually, I don't even get stressed out at check rides anymore. I just feel like I'm just flying with a with a new friend. Uh, and that's the way that I look at check rides from now forward. Ever since I did my CFI, I think it was the last time I actually got nervous on a check ride. And now it's just kind of normal. So try to try to subside your your fears of check rides by just relaxing and pretend you're flying with a friend. I promise you it'll be much easier that way. Cool. So we'll skip to uh, question number two, because that one's actually I have written down for later. Um, what do you recommend for students, you know, concerning their checkride nerves? I know checkride nerves crush a student can, you know, get a disapproval on checkride pretty quickly, just being super nervous. Uh, what do you recommend besides you know, flying with a friend? <laughs> yeah, the flying with a friend thing's pretty cool, um, but it's not very realistic if you're really, really stressed out, obviously. Uh, I would recommend sleeping the night before. Um, it, it sounds crazy. Everyone's all, I remember when I was working on my private pilot check ride, I was literally up until like one in the morning doing my flight plan to make sure the weather was perfect. And then I printed out a bunch of manila folders. One had my weather, one had photocopies of all my pilot documents. Um, one had my cross country flight plan. And literally I just had this entire little book. It was my check ride binder. Uh, that I took with me, but I stayed up way too late and my check ride was at like nine in the morning and I didn't get enough sleep. Uh, luckily I passed that check ride. Uh, but I tell all the students that I've ever worked with, you need to sleep the night before and don't study one bit the day before, because all you're doing is, is really just stressing yourself out. You're, you're now second questioning yourself. Do I actually know this? Do I know all the information? If you're not ready for your check ride by 24 hours before, you should probably postpone your check ride. I would say relax, get some sleep, have a nice breakfast, but not too much food. Obviously just relax and, and just be in the moment. It's going to be a, a memorable day for you. So enjoy it. Don't be stressed out about it. Do everything you can to kind of calm yourself. Make sure you don't, uh, don't get any arguments with anybody. Keep yourself away from all the stress and just relax. I mean, that's really the best advice I can probably get for somebody about to go take a check ride. 
Yeah, I know when I took my check ride, um, I flew the day before, and I, I regret flying the day before. So I, I didn't do well. Um, my instructor almost canceled my check ride the day before just because of how I was flying. Just I was so nervous. Uh, so I tell all students, don't even think about airplanes. Don't look up uh, when you're outside. Don't look at an airplane. <laughs> just uh, just stay away from it and just let yourself relax for one day. And the next day, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Uh, you've trained as much as you can. Question number two is, uh, I know it's a pretty big question, but what do you recommend uh, or when do you recommend a student should train under part 141 or part 61? I know a lot goes into it, but what's your recommendation? Yeah, a, a lot goes into it. And I think we had quite a bit of an episode a long time ago on uh, on some of the differences. Uh, so I won't get into the big differences on 141 versus 61. But the shorter answer is, uh, if you're going to become a professional pilot and you're going to a school that recommends part 141 because of the structure, um, then I would go part 141 route. Uh, but if you just want to be leisurely and and uh, and become a pilot just for fun, go to the part 61 route. And even if you go to a, a medium or, or larger size school that teaches under part 61, that can still be okay, especially if you're a slow learner and you can't quite keep up with the syllabus. That means you can jump around a little bit in part 61 versus part 141 where you have to pass stage checks before you can continue on. I would, I would evaluate your own situation and see what works best for you. If you're a fast learner, if you're a slow learner, uh, things like that should affect that decision. But it's probably something you should talk to whoever you're enrolling with at your school to find out which one is best for you. Uh, it's really a personal decision. And sometimes I don't even recommend people do 141 for all of the ratings. Uh, sometimes I just say do 141 for private and instrument and then go do commercial on part 61. Uh, because depending on how the program's set up, no matter what you need to have on 141, you need to have 120 hours for your commercial uh, in 141. So you can end up going way over the 250 number, even though that you've tried to to get to the 190 number, which is a magical number that I don't think anybody ever hits uh, for multitude of reasons. Uh, but I would talk to your, your school administrator or whoever enrolled you in that school to see what's best for you based on your current circumstances. Yeah, uh, I know part 141 is, is a big question. And a big selling point for a lot of people with part 141 is getting that restricted ATP. And that just didn't typically happen uh, unless you're in a collegiate program. So that's kind of something to watch out for. A good school will definitely tell you right off the bat that they can't give you restricted ATP later on just to keep you in the loop. Next question is, I always, uh, it's my personal question. Uh, I always have a hard time spotting traffic in the air. So how do you find traffic when ATC or your ADSBN system shows that there's traffic around you? Well, uh, ADSBN and ATC are two different ways to to get traffic information, obviously. Uh, let's start off with ADSBN. A lot of people think that if you have traffic on ADSB, it means you don't have to look outside. That could not be further from the truth. Uh, you need to be looking outside most of the time, at least when you're flying VFR. And actually, even if you're flying the IFR and you're in VFR conditions, you need to be looking outside. You need to be always scanning and looking for traffic. So if it shows it's in there, it just takes practice. You just need to use short eye movements, uh, looking outside for um, maybe a minute and then looking inside for, for maybe 15 or 30 seconds. And then inside, outside, inside, outside is what I tell everybody. Um, you're looking outside a little bit more than you're looking inside. Uh, you want to make sure that you're monitoring your uh, your aircraft, but you really should be looking outside to make sure that there's no traffic, there's no uh, wires, there's no towers, there's um, no obstacles in your way. Now, when ATC tells you there's traffic, it's normally because it's a traffic alert. That means it's close enough to you where if one of you actually changes your direction or climbs or descends, something like that, that means that somebody can can 
you can have a midair collision or something like that. So whenever they tell you, they're going to tell you a, like six o'clock, five o'clock, three o'clock, 11, 12, one, whatever it may be, just look in that direction from the nose of your airplane and, uh, and try to, and try to look in small eye movements. Nor remember both of your airplanes are moving. So they could tell you 11 o'clock and it moves to, um, moves to nine o'clock very easily. So make sure you're looking around and not just looking in that exact direction. Look, look a little bit, uh, maybe 20, 30 degrees to your right and to your left of the direction they put you in. That way you can kind of search for it, but really it's kind of a skill. You're looking for like a little moving black or white dot in the air. Um, that's sometimes very difficult to see. And, uh, sometimes you can even see cars on the road in far distance, like on a freeway and they look like an airplane. So just make sure that you're looking around at the kind of the overall picture of where you're looking. So you can make sure it's actually an airplane as well. And, uh, another really small thing, uh, usually at Riverside, it, it gets pretty busy in the pattern. Uh, there's so many flight schools here, just, you know, just training uh, all the time. And when ATC calls me out as traffic to another plane and they can't find me, I've actually just rocked my wings just so I can kind of catch that glare. Uh, they usually see me right after that. So just small little courtesies uh, around the airport. And another question is, uh, it seems like everyone uses for flight for everything from flight planning to navigation has weight and balance. Uh, you can pretty much figure out everything, even your logbook on there. Uh, so as far as the navigation part, do you still train your students with paper charts? Personally, I train all my students with paper charts. A lot of people kind of balk at me for doing that because it's not the new age. And why am I teaching people things that they don't have to do anymore? Well, I'm teaching people the the fundamental skills it actually takes to plan across country. If you get ForeFlight and you don't input all the information that you need into ForeFlight, you're not going to get proper directions. You're not going to get anything correct. Nothing's going to be correct even when you print out your flight plan. Even if you go on SkyVector and you type in the flight plan information on there, unless you type in all the information and you take your compass deviation card and add that information to it, you're not going to have a exact perfect picture of what your, your flight plan needs to be. Uh, granted with four flight and GPS, it makes life a lot easier nowadays, but there's some airplanes that don't have GPS or what happens if your iPad overheats, which happens all the time to a ton of different people. So you need to have backups to backups when you're, when you're using technology like that. Um, I think that a paper chart is the way to learn. And I think that you should back that up with the GPS um, with you and your plane, whether it be your phone, whether it be ForeFlight, whether it be some other system, something of that nature, just to kind of keep you on track and, and make sure you don't actually get lost. Uh, but knowing those essential skills are really good uh, for most students. So I make sure I teach everybody on paper charts. I think it's essential to, uh, to safety and it creates the foundation, uh, for you to learn this essential skill, which is cross-country flight planning. Yeah. Having the paper, at least as a backup when you're, you know, actually operating after you finish your flight training is essential. Uh, one of our students that I, I know about had just finished, um, doing a, a long cross-country flight and he came back and he said, Hey, uh, my iPad died halfway through. It just stopped working. And I was like, all right, what'd you do? He's like, well, I pulled out my paper charts. He's like, but I hadn't read them for a while. I had to figure out where I was. And just staying current with everything too. Uh, you might have trained on paper charts, might have learned it, and then started using ForeFlight after. It's pretty essential to keep using paper charts every once in a while. Uh, keep up with it. Because having that backup doesn't mean anything if you don't know how to use it. And our next one for you is, uh, do you have a preference on ground schools? What do you tell your students to use? And how do you feel about Shepard Air? When I started with my private pilot, of course, you have to earn that privilege to use Shepard Air. It's not available for private pilots. Uh, but 
when I started with my private pilot, I used Glime and I liked it quite a lot. It was just PDFs and went through, broke down all the information for me. And then from there, I took the quizzes and finished up like that. But what do you tell your students to use? So it really depends on what the student's learning style is. But I do have a personal favorite, and that's uh, Gold Seal Glime School. Um, Gold Seal is an amazing, uh, amazing program. It's interactive. I believe they have a lifetime option that you could purchase now. Uh, but really, you only need their one or two year option because that's all you're, you're going to be flight training for anyways for, for private. They just came out with an instrument uh, program. It is by far, I think, the best, most solid, interactive, and fun learning program there is out there. It keeps you actually uh, engaged. Uh, I've tried some other ones like Kings, and I fall asleep. And I get tired of seeing uh, Martha King go from 30 years old to however old she is now. And it just goes back and forth. I like to see consistency, and I like to see um, things that, that aren't aren't boring. I want to see things that are fun and engaging. That's my learning style. So I, sometimes I automatically assume that's everybody's. Um, and some people it's not, um, Carson said he enjoyed his glime one, which is all reading and it's just reading uh, page after page after page. That's not my style, but if you really like reading and you don't like videos or interaction like that, um, then I would go glime. Uh, there's other programs out there too, uh, that people have, have tried and used. Uh, but just my personal favorite, happens to be uh, Gold Seal. Outside of that, Carson asked about Shepard Air. First off, Shepard Air is not available for private pilots, and I'm actually glad it's not available for private pilots. Um, Shepard Air is essentially a software that has every single written question and the answers exactly the way they are on the written test, and it's a rote memorization software. Now, if you use Shepard Air and you read all the explanations to every single question and you follow it and understand the explanations to every question, then it can be a good learning tool in addition. But I'll tell you this, 95% of people or more don't use it for that. They just use it for rote memorization. They pass the written test and they do a ground school that's different uh, elsewhere. So make sure that, that you're knowing what you're getting. I would say Gold Seal is amazing for learning the content and knowing what you need to do on a, a check ride. I also like Sporty. Sporty's is pretty good too, by the way. Um, I've used some of their software in the past. Um, especially their multi-engine stuff is really pretty, uh, pretty good. So if you're doing multi-engine, I really like sporties, but so I'm a big fan of Shepard air. I think it's amazing, but it needs to be used in conjunction with either a online ground school or a ground school that's put on by your school in person. A lot of the partner schools of Stratus, they've got in-house ground schools that, that meet several days a week or, or several nights a week or something like that. And I think those are pretty key if, if you're committed to becoming a professional pilot. So keep that in mind. Uh, listen to your school first off and then use all the other stuff that's out there for you so you can help you learn. So, Brian, after you uh, finish your training, most people train on steam gauges unless they're training at a larger school and a brand new airplane. Uh, most people train on steam gauges. And I did. And I loved it because it just made sense. And then I got into the Aero and it had an all glass cockpit. And I recognized the avionics can get complicated. So how can someone train on these? Uh, do you just have to fork over all the cash and just spend the time in the airplane to get time with these avionics or is there some other solution? Uh, like you, I trained with steam gauges first too. Uh, they're not really steam gauges, but that's the kind of slang that everyone uses in our industry. Um, they're really powered by the pedostatic system or the vacuum <laughs> system or electrical system, things like that. Uh, but uh, and the actual avionics themselves can also refer to the radios and, and navigation equipment. So don't get the steam gauges thing confused. 
too much if you're a, a beginning pilot. It's just a slang term we use for uh, for basic gauges and basic avionics. Uh, but glass avionics, they're a lot of fun to learn on. But just know when you transition from uh, steam gauges to glass uh, or modern avionics or, or whatever you want to call them, uh, there's really no difference except for the way that the information is displayed. Uh, so most of the information is still displayed in all the same same ways. I know, for example, if you have a Garmin G5, which just uh, gets rid of or well, replaces the attitude indicator as your primary instrument, it also has information like airspeed and altitude and turn coordinator uh, and rate of rate of climb, rate of descent. Uh, rate of turn indicator. It has everything kind of in it, but it's only certified for one of those functions. That's an attitude indicator. So just know that it can only be used as an attitude indicator and all the other information, although it's probably more accurate than your steam gauges in most cases, uh, can only be used as secondary information. So I know on on like a G5, uh, they've got uh, airspeed uh, in digital form on the left side, uh, which is fantastic to use. And that's a great kind of stepping point if you want to kind of get used to glass avionics. Uh, but then you'll fly other other airplanes that are like G3X systems or G1000s. And the information's still displayed pretty much the same way. You've got the airspeed indicator on the left. You've got your attitude indicator in the middle. You've got your uh, altimeter on the right. And then you've got your other gauges uh, there as well. So keep in mind that it's just showing you the same exact information. It's just displaying it in a different way. Obviously, you should probably go fly with a flight instructor on those new instruments and get used to them. And especially if you're flying IFR, your scan will be vastly different on flying an airplane uh, IFR uh, with with glass avionics. It's just your eyes aren't used to looking in the exact same locations that you did with steam gauges. So uh, I would say fork out the money and go fly the glass avionics if you want to fly um, glass avionics. And that's what you're looking to do. If you're looking to buy an airplane with glass avionics, or you're just looking to fly something a little bit more new age. Um, I know a lot of new schools or even older schools, they've got glass avionics and light sport airplanes, which are relatively inexpensive and even brand new uh, Pipers and Cessnas, things like that. So train on what you want to fly long-term. Um, but for you to get all your hours, honestly, you can save your money and, uh, and fly the basic instruments. Uh, once you get closer to the airlines, I would start flying some glass because all the airlines are all glass now. So you want to have experience in those glass avionics, uh, just so you don't go into, uh, to your first, uh, uh, airline transport pilot class and, and just kind of get blown out of the water, uh, with never using them before. So you want to try to get some experience on those avionics for sure. Yeah, for the most part, when you're hopping into, uh, you know, ERJ or even 737, um, there's there's not a shot that you're going to be flying something with uh, steam gauges anymore. <laughs> so get current with them. Uh, that's why I think for commercial, you have to do some TAA time now, uh, or at least complex, but TAA time too. Um, just having that experience with it, it makes a whole world of difference. And I really love flying planes with glass cockpits. Uh, it's not a necessity that I have to, but I really love it. And, you know, going from everything from flight training to the airlines, you're going to have so many more questions uh, more than you know what to do with them. And never be afraid to ask for help from a CFI, another pilot, even dispatchers at your flight school might be able to help you out. The aviation community is just super tight-knit, and everyone's always willing to help you out. And like we love to say, everyone will always have something to teach you. Yep, 100% right. But uh, as we wrap up for the day, if you'd like to reach out to either one of us, you can reach us at Twitter or Instagram. For me, it's at Mr. Martini Guy. And for Carson, it's at Carson underscore AV17. Remember, we're here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride. <laughs>